So there's a little bit of an elephant in the room. We just had an election. You may be sad or rioting or, uh, or uh, thinking about rioting um, or, uh, or very happy. Um, we as, as, as believers firmly, firmly uh, hope and trust in Jesus Christ so much so that, that we can uh, caution ourselves whether we are very happy or whether we are very sad. It is a caution to us because it is, it is telling us something about uh, where our true allegiance lies. Does your allegiance lie in a uh, world leader or does it lie in uh, the true leader, the true king? And uh, so I'll leave it at that for, uh, for now. And uh, I, uh, I did not vote for either of the major candidates. I voted uh, third party. So if you think that I'm espousing either one, if politics comes up today, I don't know that it will. I, it might. But uh, you, can, uh, you can just keep that in mind. So I'm, I'm not tearing down your candidate, uh, probably, uh, or building them up. So um, I have a, a few announcements uh, let, let me start with the one that I think is, is the most serious. For people who are here at Outward Church, uh, for, um, for, for people that, that, that claim to be Christians and, and things of that nature, I, I, I want to ask men uh, if you would please um, uh, answer the call to help protect uh, what God has here. And uh, we believe in protection. Uh, there have been... Um, there have been numerous mass shootings. There, have been, uh, there is uh, great danger for children. Uh, there's, there's personal property, which we don't value above God, but there, there are things that we would rather not see happen in our, our parking lot. There's parking issues that are happening, and we can't get people to sign up for the uh, safety team uh, who, who does security and parking and things like that. And I don't know why that is. I, I don't know why. So I'm not here to condemn you or anything like that, but we can't get people to sign up, and, uh, and there's lots of things going on. People who are signed up can't show up because of various reasons. Blessings on you, no matter what, what's going on, um, but uh, I just want to encourage you with something, and that is that um, God has called us to be a people who are called to him, and, and that means that all of us participate, and that we're firm believers in that, and if that turns you off, Christian, you may be in the wrong church. We're asking people who come to this church and who are part of it to participate. So I'm not kicking you out. I'm not saying you should leave. I'm just, I would like to uh, be a, a just slightly abrasive. And, um, and I can be more abrasive if you'd like me to, but um, I, uh, I have it within me uh, to be a jerk. But uh, I, ju- I just, I want to encourage you, if you're not already serving, to begin serving in, in that way. Sign up. Uh, let, I'm hoping that we have so many guys sign up that, that men can serve perhaps once a month or maybe even once a quarter. That's what we're asking for. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's going on is that uh, we're routinely over 300 people, like well over uh, 300 people. Um, it just happened all of a sudden, and um, that's a fantastic thing. Between now and, and Christmas, it, uh, you know, numbers begin to drop off a little bit. But what it's saying is that more people are coming. Uh, there's, there's more people who need help. And so I want to encourage you to help out with that. Um, great opportunity to, uh, to live outward uh, by serving the community through THX. THX is when we give Thanksgiving meals on Thanksgiving morning to multiple families. Uh, we're, we're hoping for about 200 families. We're very dependent on the schools uh, to, for giving us those families, the names and phone numbers and addresses of those families. So we're waiting on some of those names, but our goal is 200. Um, 
And uh, so one of the ways that we uh, have seen THX work really well is, is two ways. We're serving our community. We're taking meals into their home on Thanksgiving morning, so there's a sacrifice there. But it's also an opportunity to invite someone who, who doesn't know Jesus to just come and be a part of it. Many people, um, uh, unless they are Ebenezer Scrooge, would, <laughs> would <laughs> think it's a, it would be a really great thing. And so you can invite your non-believing friends, people that don't know Jesus, if you are a non-believer, you're welcome to come to this, and we want to encourage you to do so because it is an opportunity for us to serve together, and we, uh, we welcome the opportunity. So invite your non-believing friends. Um, in addition to this, there's lots of opportunities still for THX, and so I want to encourage you to sign up to be a part of THX, um, and there will be various teams that are going out to buy toys, to buy turkeys, to buy food, to buy all kinds of things, and we need people to help out on those uh, specific days to help make that happen. So it's a, a whole body thing. We're all involved in this, and so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. We also need finances. So if you can give to that, that'd be awesome. $70 sponsors a family. $140 sponsors two families. Um, uh, uh, $210 sponsors three families. You can do math, probably. Um, uh, <laughs> and so I, I, I just encourage you to give towards that. That would be a uh, great opportunity. Um, let, me, let me throw one other thing on this. This is taking a little bit of time. It's very important that we talk about it, though. Um, we have had the school for free in years past. The school district has changed their policies. And the school district, um, we, we had heard that it was going to cost us $2,000 uh, to put on this event to serve the community. Um, we, uh, the school principal, office manager, and people there are flabbergasted. Why would we charge a church to serve the people that we are serving? It's a good question, right? But we love the school district. We love those people. And we understand that they have policies and, and costs and things like that. And so we're willing to pay. Um, what it, Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and so he can provide whatever he needs. I'm putting that before you to say this. It's going to cost us more. It's going to cost us $10,000 through donations and all other kinds of things. Um, but now it, it could be close to $12,000. Um, we're not sure yet. But let me tell you the bright side of this. The school, Richmond Elementary, we have two schools that we're, that we're cooking at, Waldo Middle School. And um, if you don't know where Waldo is, I will tell you later. But um, there's Waldo and Richmond. And, uh, and so both of these schools are, are helping. So we're still having to pay for Waldo, but the uh, principal and the office manager at Richmond Elementary believe so heavily in what we're doing. And we've been serving there through our soccer club, uh, through um, the Backpack Buddies program where we give food to kids who don't have food over the weekend and, and things like that, that they are like, hey, this is... This, um, I don't know what they said. I'm not going to try to put words in their mouth. But they said, uh, we believe so strongly that you shouldn't have to pay this, that we are willing to come here between me and the office manager. This is the principal and the office manager. We are going to be there uh, so that um, you don't have to pay for that. So let me just tell you, that's favor in our community with a secular organization. And that is God working in our lives. And so we're, we're thankful for that. We have people who are advocating for us, and we don't have to advocate for ourselves all the time. And so that is a really fantastic opportunity. I'm telling you that because of this. This matters. It matters that we're serving in our community and that people are being served through these events. It matters infinitely uh, because we are loving Jesus through being outward, and that's a great opportunity. Let me tell you about one more thing. Um, soccer club is happening throughout the week. They have a tournament that comes up this next weekend. We are serving in one of the poorest areas of the city. And so there are uh, some kids, I don't know how many kids, but there are some kids, not every kid certainly, but we have 25 kids that come to the soccer club. Now these are not just the normal kids, but these are the kids that the teachers have said, these kids need some, some help, some special help. From, from people. And we're not putting them down. We're just saying we love to be there to encourage students to be better students. And so here we have 25 students that have been put into this soccer club with us. We get to hang out with them. And, but they have a soccer tournament that's coming up. And at the soccer tournament, they have to have cleats and shin guards. But they don't have cleats and shin guards as far as we know. Many of them do not. 
And for them to go home and say, Mom and Dad, I need 30 bucks to be able to buy cleats and shin guards is just not really going to happen. And so uh, what is $30? Like, it's nothing. And I know I just asked you for money for THX. Uh, money uh, is, is nothing. But what it, what it does say is that it's, it's releasing our grasp on what we believe is ours, and, it, and, it, and it's releasing these heartstrings that are attached to us through our wallet, and we're saying, I want to give up what I have for Jesus' sake in, in the form of cleats and shin guards. And so I don't know which kids need that. All I know is that we have a need. So here's what I'm saying. Some of you are feeling that on your heart right now. Like, I want to help a kid uh, have cleats and shin guards because at the tournament is where they get to hear about the gospel. At the tournament is where they get to play a game, and it is a great opportunity for them. So uh, how you can give to that, there's a couple ways. You can put a memo on your check and just drop it in the box. You can fill out an envelope and put cash in there and say, for cleats and shin guards. You could go online, and you could uh, just give randomly to the church budget, and then you could send us an email and say, hey, I just gave 60 bucks, and I, I want you to know I want that to go to, you know, uh, to the soccer club, and we'll, we'll do that. That's, that's a fantastic thing. So let me just tell you, lots of needs. You can help. It'd be fantastic. We get to be the church, right? And we get to be joyful in those things. So I want to encourage you in that. And lastly is this. We have a, a uh, baptism. We'll be uh, uh, scheduling one after the first of the year sometime. I want to encourage you, uh, those of you who have not been baptized before, uh, to uh, let us know that you want to be baptized through a connection card, through an email, uh, talking to the folks out at Connect Central, which is the big uh, bar that's out there. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm so grateful that you came back. You obviously either didn't show up last week um, <laughs> or you uh, just weren't offended by it and you, and you are uh, a Christian. And so um, we're excited that you're here. So 1 Corinthians 5, you can turn there in your Bibles, but 1 Corinthians 5 is really talking about this. It's talking about how to kick people out of the church. And the reason why that's so offensive, I don't really even need to tell you, um, is because of this, because our culture looks at it and says, you're intolerant, you're not accepting, you're not all of those things. And we would say back to that, that uh, you are intolerant of uh, who we are and what has been for ages past. And so what we would say is this, is that uh, Jesus is better, he has something else in mind for your life than what you're engaged with. Now, we talked through many different uh, ordeals throughout this passage. I want to start at the beginning. I'm going to read it quickly. I'm going to note a couple of things um, real quick. And it says this. It is actually reported, chapter 5, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Briefly, People outside of the church are looking inside of the church and saying, that's gross, that's wrong. This guy uh, has a uh, physical relationship with his stepmother, it sounds like. And so uh, even within culture, culture says that's wrong. So Paul says uh, this. He says, and you are arrogant. So they're prideful. Look at how tolerant and accepting we are. Uh, look at, look at uh, the, the people that we let in, in the doors and, uh, and, and who we let to be a part of leadership and so forth. He says, you're arrogant. And he says, ought you not rather mourn? Shouldn't you be sad about this? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Uh, uh, verse 3, for though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I, am already, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with uh, the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Here's what we need to understand, is that this church is prideful, they're arrogant, they're, they're overriding the scriptures, they're allowing this to, to happen. They're, they're not only overriding scripture, but they're overriding cultural understandings of what is right and wrong. That's when you're really kind of messed up. And he, and he says, um, 
uh, you should have delivered this man over to Satan, which means to put him outside of the church into the realm of Satan and what he is in control of um, in, in, in times, even though God is in control of all things. Satan, outside of the church, is uh, the one who, that's his realm. That's where he is at. And so Paul says, take this guy out of the church and put him in the realm where he really wants to be. Because so that, in the end, he'll be restored to relationship with Jesus and to the church and really actually be saved. And so Paul, in essence, is saying, here's a guy who claims to be a Christian, isn't really acting like a Christian. It seems like every indication is that he isn't a Christian. He knows about the gospel but doesn't believe the gospel. And so what needs to happen to him is that he should be set outside of the church so that he doesn't have all these protections and people are not approving of his behavior so that he can come to an end of himself. God, in his incredible grace, gives us what we want. God's judgment on our sinfulness is to allow us to become more sinful. God's judgment on you and me is to allow us to become more sinful. He will allow you to engage further and further into your sin. And that's what he's saying. Put this guy outside so that he can engage with this sin to the degree that it ends up causing him to come to a place where he says, I can't go on anymore because this is not fulfilling my life. And the reason why it's not fulfilling my life is because I thought that it could be my savior. I thought that it could be the thing that I would build my life on. I thought that it would be the key thing. That's what we're always saying, guys, men and women. That's what we're always saying. When we engage in sin, the thing, that, the thing that you unknowingly are saying is this, is that you're saying, this is the thing that is going to save me. This is the thing that's going to be my deal. That's why this belief in Jesus and, and sin do not go together. You have to get rid of one to have the other. They cannot exist at the same time. That's not to say that when I sin, I no longer believe in Jesus and Jesus lets me go. I do not believe that. The scriptures say that when God calls us to himself, that we are his forever. When we become a believer, what it means is this, is that we're not corresponding to the calling that he's put on our lives. And we're not living out the gospel in our lives. So that's possible as well. Let me continue. He says... Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. He says, leaven or yeast, the way that it works through bread or dough is the same way that sin works through the life of the church. And when you allow a little bit in and, and you're not dealing with those little sins, it infiltrates the rest of the church. And what takes place is this, is that now people who are supposed to be uh, people who are becoming sanctified, they're progressively becoming more like Jesus, not in perfection, but in direction. Their, their lives are directed towards Jesus. They are aspiring to being like Jesus in life, uh, in, in deed, in their sexual lives, in all of their life. And so... He says, you really are people without sin because Jesus went to the cross. As you really are unleavened because Jesus went to the cross, you are sinless in God's eyes. And now he says, become who you already are. When you came to Jesus, what happened was this, is that the great exchange took place. Jesus takes my sin and he gives me his perfection. Jesus takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness so that when God looks at me as a believer in Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that I'm still Matt Porter and I'm kind of a jerk sometimes, uh, in spite of the fact that, I'm, that I still sin, when God looks at me, he doesn't see Matt's sin, he sees Jesus' perfection. So Paul is saying, become who you already are. Stop sinning in these ways because you're not acting within the identity that God has given you. And so then he, he says further, 
He says this, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And this is where I wanted to get. If you take things that God has called unholy or evil, and you say, you know what? God doesn't care about that. If you walk through the Bible and you systematically try to tear down these uh, these things that God has said, this is unholy for my people. Like these types of relationships are, are unholy. This is evil. This is sin working its way in the camp. This type of lifestyle is unholy. If you take those things and you say, you know what? God doesn't really care about that. Do you know what you're left with? You're left with this idea of, of like, I don't really need a savior. I don't really need the Passover lamb. I don't really need Jesus. Now, now let's just ask the question. Is that a proper viewpoint for people who claim to be Christians? And the answer is emphatically no, because the lifestyle of a Christian is one that says that I need Jesus every hour. I need him in every part of my life. I need him to bring truth to me on a regular basis. However, if you stand in pride and arrogance and you say, I don't need Jesus in my life because I haven't done anything wrong, you're not accepting what God has given to you. You can't live life to the fullest. You're allowing the thief that is Satan to steal, kill, and destroy your joy in who Jesus is, and therefore, you're not somebody who can love Jesus and live outward because you are self-assured. I haven't done anything wrong. What are you talking about? I haven't done anything wrong. What do you mean? My kids say that to me. I didn't do anything. You're going to find out that you did here, son. The arrogance that the church has, let's talk about ourselves for a second. The arrogance that the church has produced is, is unfathomable. We have been people that have let it slide and have let it slide and have let it slide and have let it slide. And we are not able to celebrate the Passover lamb in the way that we should. Why? Because we refuse to walk in obedience. We refuse to acknowledge our sin and then walk in obedience. And you can't celebrate a Passover lamb when you don't feel like you even need a Passover. You can't do it. What's, what's going on in, in this passage then? Let's, let's pick up where we left off last week. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Stop right there for a second. What is our culture believe? Our culture believes, perhaps you believe, that the church is a place for perfect people. That the church is, it thinks that it is a place for perfect people who uh, believe that, they're, that, that they have nothing wrong with them. I remember talking to a guy I used to buy tools from, Jim, that uh, old guy. Somebody attacked him with a hammer one time, and he lived through it in his 80s. Um, guy would pack a gun with him around, just the toughest dude I know, and I would, I would talk with him. Uh, on a regular basis, I go in there to buy tools and I talk about the gospel and I was horrible at it. I just, <laughs> he'd ask me questions. I'm in my early 20s and I, would, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, crud. Um, but he, he told me over and over again, if I walk into that church, I go up in flames. And do you know why he'd say that? He says that because he, believe, he, he believes just this statement and he has not put it in context. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he thinks, I know that I have sin. I know that I have things in my life. And I if I walk in there, I'll be condemned. But one of the most underquoted verses in the Bible, one of the verses that you're not going to see on a coffee cup unless Outward Church starts producing coffee cups, um, <laughs> uh, because 
We're going to make some offensive coffee mugs, by the way, um, because we're going to put Bible. We have a sermon series. Let me just side note here. We have a sermon series that's coming up that you're going to hate. It's going to be so fantastic. You are just going to hate it. And you know what we love to do? We love to do that to Christians. And then we also like to invite non-believers into those conversations. Uh, And the reason is, is because we're going to talk about all the verses that you would probably lose your faith right now if I told you about this story, right? If you read the Bible, if you were actually reading, I'm not accusing anybody here of not reading your Bible, um, but uh, (laughs) nervous laugh. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, if you actually slowed down, like, what the, what did that just say? We don't read our Bibles very closely, and this is an underquoted portion of Scripture. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That's what culture believes. Culture says, yeah, but you are sexually immoral. I've seen it in the Catholic Church. I've seen it in, I mean, there is minister after minister after minister that that has fallen, that will fall, and the thing that we always forget is that every single one of us is a sexual sinner. And what really takes place is not so much, it's not surprising that someone has sinned. What's surprising is that someone has hidden it. It's that instead of knowing other people and actually being known, they are hiding and being a celebrity. And that's a problem. And so our culture looks at that and they say, there's the issue. And so what Paul's recognizing here is he said, I wrote to you in a previous letter. We don't have that letter. We don't know where it is. No one one has seen it. Um, It's gone as far as we know historically. But he says, you know, I wrote to you a letter before to not hang out with sexually immoral people. But there was a misunderstanding and you took it the wrong way. Now listen to the misunderstanding here. I'm trying to be crystal clear with this. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world (laughs) or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to hang out with these people, but I am not talking about the people of this world. Let's let's talk about what what he means. Let's put it in today's context. Christian people, I told you not to hang out with sexually immoral people, people who are greedy, people who are idolaters, people who are swindlers, and I'm not talking about people in the outside world. What we think is like, that's right, I'm going to boycott Target. That's right. I'm not going to any of them secular concerts. That's right. I'm not going to support Burger King because they got a rainbow on their wrapper. That's right. I'm not going to hang out with that person because they... Oh, oh. no, you didn't, right? I'm a Christian, and I'm a conservative, and I'm a Republican, and I voted for Trump. Remember, I told you this is going to happen. I didn't vote for Trump, right? All you haters who did, like, whatever, yeah. This is, this is what our culture looks at, and they see the boycott over the ridiculous things like Starbucks cups. <laughs> like, what in the world is going on? Like, it, that, is, that could not be more clear. It could not be more clear. I'm not talking about the world. <laughs> like, you just have to end it. Like, just end it. Or... Uh, Go out in the woods, churn your own butter, like get, you know, find, get a bomb shelter, do, do those weird things, right? Hide yourself, uh, create a fortress so that you and your family are stowed away safely, away from the evils and the ills of Target, right? And oh, the Starbucks holiday cup. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity. Because it is a direct repudiation. I can't believe I just thought of that word. Repudiation. 
Can you believe it? I mean, it's amazing. Normally, I have the best words. Um, but uh, of who Jesus is. Like, this is, this is who Jesus is. I don't normally use... No, there we go. Okay. This is who Jesus is. Let's just read a few verses. Matthew 9, 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who's he hanging out with? Greedy, sexually immoral, swindlers, people who like red Starbucks cups, people who still go to the bathroom at Target. This is who Jesus is hanging out with. Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Mark 2, 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Let me ask you something. The... the the political divide in our country is very much divided along these lines. Because what, what's taking place is that you've got conservative politics, right? Who are, it, it, the evangelical vote went very much for the Republican ticket. And uh, everyone else went for the Democratic ticket. And do you know what's taking place is that we're separating ourselves and we're saying, no, we're creating a dividing line. Jesus was hanging out with the Democrats. Woo. Jesus was spending time with whoever he wanted. Jesus had relationships with all of these people. And when, when we look at the life of Jesus, and then you look at our lives as Christians, those of you who are not Christians, or you're, just, you're just coming here, I, I just want you to watch, watch what's happening right now. Christian people have missed the gospel. You have missed the very life of Jesus Christ when you have prejudices towards people of that nature because Jesus spent time with them. He was a glutton. He was not a glutton. He was viewed as a glutton. He was viewed as a drunkard. Got story after story after story where Jesus is, he sees the woman at the well, an incredible sexual sinner. If she was alive today, she, she would have been some type of a stripper or a prostitute, a girl who just had been promiscuous, probably had a couple of abortions and things of that nature. And how does Jesus respond to her lovingly? And he has a relationship. And he invites her into community. He invites her into the faith. Why doesn't our faith today bring those same people in. Why is it that people can walk into our church with those types of sins and feel like an outcast? I want to tell you, here's why I think. Because a little bit of yeast works through the entire batch of dough. A little bit of yeast works through the entire batch of dough. What do I mean by that? I haven't sinned. I, I don't have anything wrong with me. I, there, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with my life. What are you talking about? And either we're hiding or we're arrogantly setting aside the Word of God. And instead of knowing other people and being known, we're hiding and we're acting like we have it all together. And so here we have a church. Let's, let's talk about us here. 
I'm not here to criticize you, but I, but I, I want to talk about our church for a second. Here we have a church who looks very pristine. We look very well put together, but I'm willing to bet you $1 million that in this room there are things that are going on in each one of our lives that we would rather not anyone know about. And do you know what takes place? You're not known, and you don't know other people. You don't have real community. You have an affinity group, but you're not living in real community. And God is never calling just an individual into relationship with himself. He is calling a people unto himself. And when you hide, and when you act like there's nothing wrong, and when you refuse to submit to the word of God, you have torn apart community. You've denied the word of God, and you're tearing apart the church. God is welcoming us into community, and this these scriptures right here, as abrasive as they are, they are, again, a repudiation against us because it wakes us up to the judgment of God. It wakes us up to examine our own lives and to say, here's what's really going on with me. And do you know what takes place as a result? Real and true celebration of the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ. Do you really, do, I mean, do you really have love for Jesus Christ in your life? Like, do you really have, like, this insatiable appetite for God and just saying, I, God, I just want more of you. I just want more of you. I just want more of you. I just, I want to know how to love Jesus. I want to be more giving with my time. Do you really have an appetite for that? And let me just tell you, if you don't have an appetite for that, that appetite, I believe, is coming from this very thing that this church was dealing. Your boasting is not good because you're not able to truly get your head around the idea that Jesus is everything because your sex life is everything to you because that private issue is everything to you. It is your God. Your money is everything to you. And Jesus isn't on the throne. You are. And as a result, what we have is we have dead and lifeless churches, and we have a church that doesn't truly celebrate who Jesus is. Man, the reason why we raise our hands in worship is it is it's surrender. The reason why we come together as a church and we say the same thing, we're singing we're singing the gospel. The reason why we're saying the same thing is, is because of this. We want to declare to God what we want to be true and what is true. Are you able to declare that with integrity? Verse 11 says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Whew. So some of you are, are, are sitting here and you're saying, oh, crud. <laughs> like, Man, I'm, I'm kind of greedy, never really giving anybody anything. And I've got sexual immorality in my life. Man, the church leadership must be coming for me. The, 
let's let that sting for a little bit more. You know, like when you cut yourself and you got to clean out the wound, and so you got to pour some alcohol or some peroxide on that. You know, like peroxide makes it bubble, kind of makes it feel worse. Let's clean out the wound. Let's clean out the wound here for uh, just a minute. Sexually immorality. I told you last week, the word there in the original language is pornea or pornos right here. It's where we get pornography. It refers originally to prostitution, but it means any kind of sexual immorality. It means any kind of sex outside of two people being legitimately married. It means getting close to having sex. It means lustful thoughts. It means pornography. It means inappropriate sexual relationships uh, of the same sex. It means adultery. It means ongoing sin that you refuse to deal with. The church must deal with itself first. The next verse here, I should have read, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So let's recognize our evil. Let's recognize the evils of, of who we are as believers. And I think this, I think this really sucks. It's, it's probably one of the hardest things that we could go through is like go through a vice list and say, here's, here's, here's where we are, right? So there's sexual immorality. There's, there's greed. How do you know if you're greedy? Are you generous? Have you been generous with anybody? Because the generosity of God in your life is supposed to evoke generosity uh, from your life. We're to be generous because God has been generous to us. And when you're not generous with other people, what that implies is that there is a level of greed in your life. Uh, Christian people, do you make it a point to give on a regular basis to what God is doing in your local church where you receive benefit and help? Has there been any need or, or anything that you've ever given to? When someone owes you something, are you quick to grab them by the throat and say, pay me back? Greed is hard to prove. You know what's easy to prove? A lack of generosity. Idolatry. The worship of someone or something in place of God or as God. That is what we deal with. Idolatry always works its way into the life of a person to conform you into the image of the thing that you're worshiping. You're conformed into that image that you, that you, that you look at. In some way, it's changing your personality, the thing that you're looking to. Whether it's money, sex, or power, when you bow down to that idol and you say, I haven't literally bowed down, I don't have any golden calves that I'm worshiping. Well, it's worship nonetheless because you've given time, you've given thought, you've given effort, you've given worry, you've given praise. You've worshiped an idol. And your idol, your idolatry could extend into sports. It could extend into really good things like your family. You know how you expose idolatry of family? Um, do you, is serving Jesus ever um, pushing out something that you want to do with family? Or does family always come first? It seems like, oh, my family always comes first. Nothing gets in the way. Oh, aren't you spiritual? that you have set aside what God would have you do and serve so that you could serve your family. It's like doing, it's like doing something really good so that you can uh, do something really atrocious, right? 
You can worship your family. You can worship your time. You can worship your stuff. You can worship sex. You can worship power. And every single one of us is an idolater on some level. Reviler. Reviling is, is, is another word for slander. How easy is it for you to trash talk someone else? We have it in our church. Oh, yeah. They told me what you said. You think I'm kidding. You know who you are, right? I'm kind of saying that, saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I just want you to know that I'm shocked sometimes at how easily Christians can, can just slander someone else. Like, uh, and this, this happens with people in leadership so frequently because there's this distance between you and the leader sometimes, and instead of going and talking to the leader and finding out who they really are, I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about the elders who actually lead the church. Instead of going and talking to them, you've made an assumption about who they are and you've, you've reviled them, you've slandered them, you've talked trash about somebody. When you go to your work and you slander other people, that guy's a bum. He never works. I always got to pick up his slack. Does that in any way replicate the life of Jesus Christ, or is that just uh, using the leaven of malice and evil? That's what's happening in, 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 in churches. A drunkard clearly someone who is drunk on a regular basis so that we can say that, that what typifies your life is that you're drunk all the time. Some of you uh, are, have closet alcoholism that you're hiding, some type of drug dependency. And what's going on in your life is that it's just, it's just been a secret and it's never been real. You've never, you, you've never been real. A swindler. It's somebody who robs others. It's somebody who, uh, in business, has no problem taking from other people. It's somebody who, who says, I'm, I don't care who I screw over in business. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, I am telling you, that when you look at the world and, and you complain about ridiculous things like Starbucks cups and, and you're going to boycott this and boycott that, but you don't clean your own house, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. Paul says, if, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be a brother, these things have got to be dealt with in your midst. And what stings is that many of us exhibit at least one or more of these traits. And so what's, so what's the, the salve? What's the healing ointment for this? No one comes to Jesus and says, I haven't done anything wrong. True believers, people that know Jesus and walk with him are people who have said, I am a sinner saved by grace and I want to walk in that. And here's what's true about me is that I have a struggle in this area and I don't want that. The only difference between this guy who's getting kicked out and you and I is this, is that I'm not going to pridefully and you're not going to pridefully sit and say, I haven't done anything wrong. Where are you at with this? Are we judging ourselves? Are we restoring one another? One of the greatest things that we can do is confession and repentance to one another. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where my life is not right with, with God. And I just want it to be right. And, and I just want you to know, no one is eager to kick you out of the church unless you come to a place where you say, it's just my sin. I'm just going to keep doing it. 
That's where we have an issue. Hypocrisy ends in the Christian church with these passages. Hypocrisy ends when we stop hiding and we know others and we ourselves are known. Jesus Christ is a fantastic Savior. He is our only Savior. And he spent time with tax collectors and sinners. And so I'm willing to bet that he'll spend time with you. He'll spend time with us. You're, you're sitting here and you're saying, my sin's too big. I've cheated on my wife. I've cheated on my husband. Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners, and everybody hated him for it. He will spend time with you. We will spend time with you. We will walk you through a process, and we will love you. But she may, she may not come back to me. We will walk you through that. We will love you through it. You, you're not yourself when you're hiding that. But I can't stop doing this because then I'll, I'll not have the money that I need. But you are not yourself. You're not living according to who you really are. You're hiding. You're not known. No one knows you. The panic in you is because you're not known. But I, I have to keep doing this. Otherwise, I, I, I won't be like myself. And the world tells me I have to be true to who I am. No, the world is lying to you. Jesus is the only one who's telling you the truth. Trust him alone. The world keeps telling you that they're telling you the truth, but it's not. Trust Jesus alone. He loves you. He proved it by going to the cross. He looked at your life. He knew what you would do. He knew how you would act, and he died anyway for you. And he put himself on that cross, and he went to the grave, and he is, was resurrected from the grave. And that resurrection proves that he can resurrect your life. He can bring healing in the midst of pain. He can take you out of suffering and he can bring you into a great sense of love and affection for himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the difficulty of this passage on our lives is, is just beyond compare. And I'm just imagining that there are hurting people in here right now because there is just stuff that they just they need to get off of their, their chest. They're, they've been living a lie. And so, Lord, I'm asking that today would be the day that they come clean and that they are real for the first time, that this is who I really am. And Lord, I'm asking that our people would, would, would be people who are just we're confessing to one another our shortcomings and our need for the Passover lamb. And Lord, and that we would understand that when we are standing in your grace and, and desiring your grace, we're recognizing our own sin, that we never even have to get close to church discipline because we're walking in the truth. So Lord, may this be true of us. May, may we believe what you have to say. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.